I am tired of waiting. I'm tired of this anger. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Christ in me gives me strength. Christ in me gives me strength. Mr. Stevens? Yes, doctor. I have news about your wife. You do? Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning to everybody. And uh, good morning, especially to those who are joining us here for the first time. We're so happy that you're here. The well at STSA. And uh, we like to say we are an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen because hopefully ordinary people meet God here and great things happen in their life. And if you're just tuning in today or just joining us for the first time, you came in the middle of a great series. One of the most inspiring series that people have been telling me has really been speaking to so many people in their hearts and in their season of life. Because what we're answering is one simple question in this series, which is what do you do when there's nothing you can do? We're talking about the waiting room seasons of life. The seasons of life where you got no options, you got no way forward, no way out. Where you seem, life seems stuck and no matter what you try, no matter how hard you try and how much you pray, you do all the right things, it just seems like there's nothing that, can, that you can do. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do? Why this is such an important topic and why this topic I say every single person needs to pay close attention to because I'm telling you, how you handle the waiting room periods of life will determine the outcome of your life more than anything else. The people who end up far from God, the people who end up not believing in God, the people who end up distant in their relationship with God, nine out of ten times is because they did not know how to properly handle those waiting room periods of life, and it'll have effects on you in the future like you might not realize. What is the waiting room? The waiting room, as you saw here in the skit, as you've been seeing all, uh, all for the past several weeks, the waiting room could be a period of time in your marriage, all right? A period where your marriage where you've done everything you could, all right, and there's really no other options left, and he won't change or she won't change. And, and like I said, is that you don't want to end things because that's not who you are, and it's, and it's not like it's that bad, but it's just you don't know if you can continue like this anymore. It is what it is, and it's not going to change. You're in the waiting room. Let's say you're a single person. A lot of people in the waiting room of singleness where you are waiting and waiting and waiting, and you've done everything right, and you've played it by God's rules, and you've obeyed God, and you're, you've got no options left, and still there's no answer. And it, let me change that. You actually do have options, but you know those options are not good options. You know those options aren't, aren't what God wants you to do, but what can you do when there's nothing you can do? Waiting room could be when you are waiting for a relationship that's gone bad, when you are waiting 
for a breakthrough at work or for a, a, a respite of some sorts in your finances, whatever it may be. It's those periods of life where you're waiting and it doesn't seem like there's any solution in sight. You know what makes it worse to be in the waiting room? It makes it worse, as you saw here in the skit right here. It makes it worse if you're Christian. If you're not Christian, it's one thing. But if you are Christian and you go to church and you hear the stories about how God does miracles for other people and you hear about all the sick people that God heal, all the other people's moms that got healed and the other people's wives who got healed and you hear all the stories about how God fixed everyone else's life except my own. And I know the stories. I believe in God. I know he can if he wanted to. So then the natural question is, well, why not me? Why everybody else but except me? Did I do something wrong? Does God not care about me? Is God angry at me? Why not me? And then we reach, we talked about these in the first, we could reach these bad conclusions in life when we're in the waiting room. We reach the conclusion that I'll never be happy again. That, that life will never be good again. You know what? It is what it is, and that's it, and I'll never be happy again. Number two, we reach the conclusion that nothing good can come of this. So don't tell me, Father Andy, don't tell me some story where everything gets fixed in the end and all things work together for good to those who love God. Not in my situation. My situation is the worst. And if you want me to come up on stage and tell all the people my story, they'll all agree that my situation is the worst. And finally, we conclude there's no point in trying. There's no point in obeying God. Look, I obeyed God all these years, and look where it got me. There's no point in obeying anymore. There's no point in being ethical anymore. There's no point in, in trying anymore. Might as well just give up because God doesn't seem to be it doesn't make a difference whether or not I do or don't do. And I can't take it anymore. The waiting room is when you get to the period of life where you say, you know what? I know what I should not do, but I can't take this anymore. I am sick and tired of waiting and waiting, waiting. And I know all those options are bad options. But you know what? I can't take it anymore. God seems to fix everyone else's situation except mine. It doesn't look like that's going to change. So the waiting room is when we can't take it anymore. The first week in the series, for those who weren't here, we saw an eye-opening truth. We saw an eye-opening truth when we saw something that makes sense to us when we hear it, but for so many of us, it's so counterintuitive to how we live our lives. We saw that the presence of adversity does not negate the presence or love of God. The presence of adversity is not, does not negate the presence of God or the love of God, and we said it this way simply, is that when I'm in those waiting rooms, God is not absent, even though it seems like he's absent. God is not apathetic, even though it seems like he couldn't care less. It seems like he cares about everyone else's marriage except mine. He cares about everyone else's job except mine. And God is certainly not angry. It seems like he must be upset at me. I did something wrong. We said God is not absent. God is not apathetic. God is not angry. What God is, what we celebrate during Christmas time, is God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And God is with us, and the presence of adversity does not negate the presence of God. Last week, we took it even a step further, and we saw that not only does adversity not mean that God is not there, but in fact, I said something very, I said something last week that some of you said, this guy is gone a little bit, he's lost it up there, because he's saying crazy things. Like, I can accept, put up with adversity, but Father Anthony, what you said last week was crazy, because what I said last week, I said last week, not only does the presence of adversity not, not, does not negate the presence of God, but in fact, sometimes... That presence of adversity is a gift from God. And I said to each one of us, we have the option, and I stress on option because I can't tell you what to do in your life, but we have the option to embrace our adversity as a gift from God. And when you do that, this is what we said last week, 
Embracing your weakness as a gift is the only way to unleash God's grace upon it. We saw the story of St. Paul. How St. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Something that was, you remember, was painful, was debilitating, was humiliating, and was permanent. Something that was directly opposing what God wanted him to do. God said, I want you to do this. St. Paul said, okay, I'll give my life to you. And then God put a roadblock directly in his path. That thorn in the flesh. And St. Paul said, I hate this thing. And I want this thing to go. And I want to remove this. And I have full faith. And I believe that God can move mountains. And I want this thing to go. And three times he says he prayed for it. And God's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. And St. Paul taught us something very important. St. Paul, from that moment in life, if y'all remember what we talked about last week, before that he had been resisting it, trying to go around the adversity, trying to seek a loophole, trying to, to avoid it. And then finally he realized that God is not moving it. So what he did is he embraced it. And what happened when St. Paul embraced his adversity? Not as his enemy anymore, but as a gift from God. God's grace was unleashed upon him. And that's why by the end of the story last week, St. Paul was saying, I boast in my adversity. I boast in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And St. Paul went on and told the whole world, hey, everybody know how messed up my life is? You want me to tell you, you think your life is messed up? You say it in a bitter way? I'll tell you, my life is more messed up. But the glory of God shines through the messed upness in my life. Messed upness, that's a good word. We looked at this verse last week, 1 Peter 4, 12. All the people who brought us the scriptures, all the people who brought us, it wasn't just St. Paul, don't look at him as an outlier. All the people who brought us the scriptures, they live this life where the presence of God and the presence of adversity were not at conflict with one another. They were in fact working together. St. Peter, someone else who knew adversity, he says this in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't be so surprised when trials come. I'm telling you they will come. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Those guys who gave us the scriptures, they knew the presence of God and presence of adversity. Remember last week I told you all this example. If God not cooperating with us meant that God didn't exist. Okay, that's how we view it. Lack of cooperation, lack of getting what I want means that God doesn't exist. If God existed, he'd give me what I want. Or if God loved me, he'd give me what I want. If lack of cooperation meant lack of existence or lack of love, then my children would be walking around school saying, I don't believe in dad. Do you have a dad? No, I don't believe in a dad. Why? Because I don't get what I want. And if, because I don't get what I want, therefore, there's no such thing as dad. No, there's a dad. He loves you. He ain't letting you eat that sweets for dinner. There's a dad. He loves you dearly. And he's going to make you go to sleep at 8 o'clock even though you don't want to sleep at 8 o'clock. The presence of adversity. We created a new category that we didn't exist before. That there is a category of life that exists, which is pain and God, and the two are not exclusive of one another. What we want to talk about today, that's why I said today, for those who are on the email list, I said today is, an, is, is I don't want, I know I say this every week, today's message, I don't know how you survive in life, today's message is the most important message ever. I say that every week, I know, but believe me, today I'm saying the truth, last week I was lying, okay? Because today we're going to talk about how. Very easy for me to say, look, do what St. Peter did, rejoice, do what St. Paul did, Counted all, all, all blessings. That's very easy for me to say that. But what I need to get to is how. How is St. Peter, how is the apostles who were martyred, how is St. Paul, these people who are in these difficult situations, and we got to be honest, our difficult situations are peanuts compared to their difficult situations. Like we complain, and we, and we, we make a big story, a big fuss, and we put them all on the line. Like these guys had real, real suffering. How were they able to say these words? Easy thing to say they were just... They were messed up in the head. 
or, or, or to say that, that, you know, they lived in a different era than we lived in. Easy thing to say, but I don't, I don't buy that. I need to dig inside. I need to find the secret, the secret of how to say these words. And we're going to see that secret today. St. Paul gives it to us in verse Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Here's our verse this week. You're going to memorize this verse if you want to live it. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Let's say that together. Even though I wish I could say it from my heart, let's read it off the screen. By Hopefully by the end of my life, I'm saying this to my heart. Let's say this together. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I don't know about you, but I. Father Anthony, what's your goal in life? What do you want from coming to church? What do you want from a relationship with God? I want this. I want this. I want to wake up in the morning and say this. I want to go into my office when other people are all stressed and bad stuff is happening all around. And I want to say this. And I want to mean it, not just say it. I want to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I want to be in that waiting room. And that's why we're talking about the waiting room. And if you've been to a hospital waiting room, you know, these are the worst places in the world. The most depressing places is the hospital waiting room. And I want to be that one guy. There's always one guy, and you can spot him in the waiting room, that light. I want to be that guy. And I want the bad news, the bad news, the bad news, the bad news, the bad news. But I want to be able to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Don't you? What's content mean? What does content mean? You look in the dictionary, you see on your handout, content means a state of peaceful happiness. Oh, <laughs> tell me that's not a good definition. A state, people want to be happy. People want world peace. I combine them together. A state of peaceful happiness. You know what content means? Content means that the inside doesn't depend on the outside. Content means that outside may be chaos. Inside is peace. Outside may be drama. Outside may be layoffs. Outside may be illnesses. Outside may be destruction. But inside is calmness. Because the inside doesn't depend on the outside when you find the secret of contentment. When St. Paul says, I've learned, to be I've learned the secret of being content, what St. Paul is saying is that inside, even though my life outside, and we're going to see that today when he penned these words, my life outside is crumbling, falling apart. But inside, I'm at peace. I am not striving. I am not stressing. I am not yearning. I am not, I am at total peace with whatever happens on the outside. You want this for your life? I'm saying the secret of contentment in any and every situation. I hope that what you're doing today, which is what I would be doing if I'm sitting in the, those chairs, is I'm leaning in a little bit closer today. I'm making sure that that phone is on silent today because I, I need, like I'm desiring this. this. This will help me tomorrow morning. Like I'm leaning in a little bit closer because I need the secret of contentment because that's so far from where so many of us live our lives. I need to be content at work. I need to be contentment, secret of contentment at home. Secret of contentment with my friendship. Secret of contentment with my, my finance. Secret of contentment with my future, with my past. I need the secret of contentment. St. Paul gives it to us today. Let's do a little background of when St. Paul penned these words in Philippians chapter 4. Y'all know the story of St. Paul. Talked about it last week. St. Paul was someone who started off as a bad guy, ended up as a good guy. Started off as a persecutor of Christians, hater of all Christians. This guy was public enemy number one for anyone who believed in Christ. Eventually, he becomes converted. And he believes in Christ. And now he's not a hater of Christ and Christians. Now he becomes a preacher of Christ. And he becomes the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. He went around and started churches all over the Roman Empire. And he preached Christ to them and preached the good news to them and planted so many churches. 
about 10 years or so after his conversion, like St. Paul served for 10 years, then he got arrested. And at the time St. Paul lived, the world was under the Roman Empire. That's where he was under. Roman Empire at the time, the emperor's name was a guy named Nero. Historians know a little bit about Nero. Nero was the worst human being on the planet. Y'all know what they say about Nero and Christians. What Nero used to do in his garden with Christians. Y'all you ever heard that before? That he used to light up his garden with Christians. Like Nero was the worst. If you were a Christian, Nero's di- was, was his goal was to remove all Christianity from the world. This was the worst person in the world if you're a Christian. St. Paul gets arrested. And while, he gets, while he's in, in prison, he eventually ends up in Rome. To be a Christian, arrested in prison, under Nero, in Rome, was about the worst, worst circumstance you could be in. Like, you could be arrested far away. You could be arrested under another emperor. But to be in Rome, under Nero, in prison, no hope. No hope. And if you're looking at this story from an outside perspective, when St. Paul goes to prison, he's for sure going to die. But it's just a matter of how painful it's going to be. And he, en- he does end up dying. Okay, so don't think that the story ends up, he ends up living, for, it doesn't. He ends up getting killed, all right? He ends up getting martyred in Rome. If you're St. Paul, you're looking at this from the outside. Okay, St. Paul's in prison, Nero's in power. How would you look at this situation from a historical perspective, from an outside perspective? I'd look at it and say, game over. Game over, right? You're St. Paul. You persecuted, you converted, you preached. Now you're in prison. You're an old man. You got a thorn in the flesh. You're starting, your eyes are starting to give you a hard time. You can't see no more. It is now officially game over. Nero wins, Jesus loses. That's it. But you're St. Paul, you know, resurrection of the dead, and you started churches, and God will reward you, and that's it. Live out the final years of your life, and that's it. Game over. Game over? If you know the character of St. Paul, you know there ain't no game over for St. Paul. St. Paul was a fighter. St. Paul gave meaning to the word feisty. St. Paul, there's no such thing as, as I quit. No such thing as I'm, I'm all by myself, I'm old, I, I can't barely move, and I just, and there's no such thing. St. Paul had a vision to change the world, and every person would know Christ. And St. Paul said, you cannot stop me, and I'm going to f- do something. But now the question is, what do I do? I'm in prison. There's no hope of getting out. What do I do? I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. But what do I do? So St. Paul said, since I can't preach, I'll write. I'll write. I'll get a piece of paper and write some letters. And St. Paul penned four epistles, four letters in the New Testament. Epistle to his friends. Epistle means letter. Okay, so a letter to his friends in a city called Ephesus. He started a church in Ephesus. He said, let me write a letter to them. To, to the church in Colossae, to the church in Philippi, okay, and to a friend of his named Philemon. He just wrote a letter. If you're St. Paul and you're writing a letter, what do you expect to come of that letter? Like you wrote a letter in prison. What's going to happen to that letter? You're a prisoner. Forget about, forget about, forget about you don't know the Bible, okay? There's no such thing as the Bible yet. All right, you're St. Paul. You're in prison. You write this letter and you give it to someone. Please deliver this to the church in Ephesus. What's the likelihood that letter even arrives? What's the likelihood that letter, okay, let's say by chance it arrives, even though you're a prisoner in Rome and you got no rights and everyone hates your guts and no one wants to be seen carrying a letter from you. Not only it arrives, not only it's preserved, but it is published. Now we're in 2015. 
but it has been published, if you look at the, the Bible, okay, as a, as a, as a look at the Bible as a, a book, okay, that has been published more than any other book in the history of all mankind. St. Paul's letters that he wrote in prison, even though he didn't know what he was doing, he just knew, I'm in a waiting room, I can't quit, I can't do that, I can't do that, but I will not quit, I will remain faithful to the very, very end, I'm going to do whatever it is I can. And he ended up writing this letter, and this letter has been read by more people, has been published by more people, has been held is in, in every hotel room you go to all across the world. You find the letters that St. Paul penned this one day in a prison while awaiting execution. Again, historians will tell you that there are emperors, rulers of nations, very powerful people, who penned letters and kept them in vaults that they would be preserved forever. And those letters are nowhere to be found. They're long lost. But St. Paul wrote this dinky little letter on a little parchment. Could barely see with his eyes. Probably a lot of chicken scratches look. And to this day, those letters have influenced not just us in Christianity. Okay, but again, if you study literature and you study the world, this, this has studied Western civilization, influenced Western civilization probably more than any other writer in the world. Here's the key point that we want to get to today. At the time when St. Paul penned these words, did he think he was going to change the world? At that time when St. Paul was writing those words, he had no idea that his decision, everything was pointing to just give up. Just call it quits. You, you did enough, St. Paul. You did more than all the rest of us combined. Just give up. You gave it your best shot. Just quit. Game over. Nero wins. Jesus loses. That's it. End of game. Everything was pointing to don't try anymore. But St. Paul said, I cannot stop. I will not be held down. And even if I got one breath in my lungs, I will use that one breath to do something. I will not quit. I will not remain. I will not lose faith in God. I will not stop trying. And St. Paul made a decision. And his decision to remain faithful in the waiting room has influenced lives and generations and eternities for every single one of us in this room and countless, countless others. Here's our lesson for today. Paul accomplished something great, not in spite of his adversity, but directly because of it. Paul accomplished something great, not in spite of his adversity, not once God freed him from the waiting room, but directly because of his waiting room. Because had he not been in that waiting room, you think he'd have been writing letters? Where would he be if he wasn't arrested? Where'd he be? He'd be out starting more churches, which is a great thing. And that would have impacted so many people. But the letters that he have impacted multiple, multiple, multiple generations and will continue to affect generations for years and years to come. As long as there's people on this earth will be affected and influenced by the work of St. Paul in that prison cell, in that waiting room, when he made a decision against all odds, when everyone was telling him quit, when everything was saying just give up, stop trying, you did your best, he made a decision to say, no, I will remain faithful. And because of that, because he embraced his adversity, he got to see God's great plan through it. Here's what I want to tell you today. And I'm going to be very honest. You are in a waiting room period of life. And it's difficult. And I, my heart goes out to you. And, and, and with all my heart, as much emotions I have in me, I feel for you. But you have no idea. You have no idea 
what hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful in that waiting room. You have no idea. You have no idea, specifics, in your marriage, what hangs in the balance of you remaining faithful and committed and trying and fighting to the last breath. You have no idea what hangs in the balance for future generations of people who have your last name. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea what hangs in the balance, single people, of you remaining committed to God's standards for your singleness. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. Everything is telling you quit. Everything is telling you give up. Everything is telling you why try. You've tried and you haven't got anywhere. Game over. Bad guys win, you lose. Everything is telling you that. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of you saying, no, I will remain faithful. I will, other areas of your work, your career, whatever, I will not lose my ethics. I will not lie. I will not cheat. I will remain faithful. I will remain obedient. God told me to pray, and I don't want to pray. I hate prayer, but I will remain faithful to the very end. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. Because as we see with Paul, God accomplished something great in his life, not in spite of his adversity, but directly because of it. And that could be your life and my life as well. It's in the context. Why is it so important to remain faithful in your waiting room? Because it's in the context of your adversity that God has the greatest potential to work in your life. Do you believe that or don't believe that? Go find me the people who accomplish great things in life and let them tell you the story. And very rarely the story will be, my life was so easy and so comfortable and therefore God did great things through me. That's never the story. The story is always, I was in this tough situation and I remained faithful. Everything was pointing against me, and I held on to God, and God did this. It is in the context of the greatest adversity in your life that God has the greatest potential to work in your life. The thing which you hate is the very thing that God will most powerfully work in that and through that, do something great in you and through you in the whole wide world, and has a great message, just like he had with St. Paul. You know St. Paul's message in prison. Show you how great his message was. Show you how much you appreciate St. Paul being sent to prison. Married people. One of the epistles he wrote was Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. When you were married, stood in front of the church, we read from Ephesians chapter 5. And wives, you heard it read to your husband. St. Paul, because of his prison, said, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, aren't you thankful St. Paul went to prison? Husbands, the wives heard a thing or two to them as well. And it said that wives, submit to your husbands as the church submit to Christ. Husbands, aren't we happy that St. Paul went to prison? Parents, said children, obey your parents in the Lord. Aren't we happy, St. Paul? St. Paul, in, in Colossians now, chapter 3, he talked about if you go to work, no matter where you work, you work heartily after the Lord and not unto men. Aren't you happy that St. Paul went to prison? You'll never know what hangs in the balance. And that's the thing, is that if you quit, if you hit eject, if you hit the reset button, you will never know what you forfeited. You will never know what you forfeited if you quit. We need to learn the secret of contentment so that we're in, when we're in those waiting rooms and we're so tempted to hit quit, we're so tempted to hit eject, we're so, we need to learn the secret of contentment so that we can remain faithful and discover what God has in store. Let's go to that passage now from Philippians chapter 4. Let's get at the context. I gave you verse 12. Let's start in verse 10. We'll go to verse 13. We'll try to break it down and understand it a little bit better. St. Paul says, Philippians chapter 4. Again, this is being written from prison. 
Okay, he's writing these words from prison, awaiting death. All right, not sitting on, on, on a beach, like kicking back, all right, and, and sipping on, on tea or something like that. He says this in prison. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What he's saying is, so the Philippians, all right, sent him a letter or a care package or something in the mail or like someone delivered something to him. And he was saying, I was so appreciative that I found out that you still cared about me because I thought everyone else had left me. All right, all my disciples had left me. And I'm just sitting here rotting away in prison and I got a care package from you. I don't know what was in it, books, you know, food, money, you know, um, a coat. I don't know what, what was in it, you know. But something was in it. He said, thank you very much. I appreciate what you sent me. But let me tell you why I appreciate him so you don't think that I needed something. He says this. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. See what he's saying right here? I appreciate what you sent me, but hold on one second. Just so we're clear. Don't think that I'm just sitting here crying myself to sleep. Don't think I'm sitting here playing the, the pity party on the violin. Don't think I'm just sitting here being miserable and depressed and bitter in life. I appreciate what you sent me. But had you not sent it, man, I have learned to be content. An emphasis on two words, learned and content. Learned means what? Learned means something not natural to me. It means I wasn't born content. I didn't walk in this prison content. I walked in a miserable person. But I have learned to be content. It's a process. Something that took me some time, but I learned over time to be content. And we talked about content, meaning state of peaceful happiness no matter what is going on outside me verse 12 next verse i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty what he's saying right there is what i've learned to be content there was a time when life was very good for me and there's been a time when life was bad for me and i'm smart enough that i wasn't fooled by that or fooled by that i didn't get married to the plenty so that when the need came i knew how to deal with it I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in walk. Key phrase here, highlighted up on the screen, is learned the secret. I want to talk about this phrase, learn the secret. Learn the secret is one word in the Greek language. It's one word. And it's a word that doesn't appear anywhere else in all of the Bible. One word doesn't appear anywhere else in all of the Bible. What happens when St. Paul uses a word that's very unique and isn't a commonly used word in these kinds of settings? You're at the office, and people are talking, and, water cool water, and some guy uses a five-syllable word. You know the apps that like make you smarter, okay, like the word of the day? And some guy clearly has an app, and he comes and he, you know what I mean, and he says a big five-syllable word. When he says that, you're like, whoa. Like he's doing it for a purpose. He's doing it, whoa. Like you usually only stuck in the two-syllable, three maybe, tops. You used a five-syllable word. That's what St. Paul is doing right here. Not with syllable, but I'm saying in terms of common usage. He pulled a word out of left field. Why use this word St. Paul? Like clearly it's for a purpose. And the word learn the secret is not a Christian word. It's not even a, like, Jewish Hebrew word. It's a word that St. Paul pulled from the world of cultic mysticism. The cults, the mystics, the people. And it literally means 
initiated into the mystery. Initiated into the mystery. I have learned the secret of being content. I have been initiated into the mystery of contentedness or contentment or whatever. You know, when you watch the movies, like the Secret Society, all right, and there's like some like, you know, rite of initiation of handshake or, you know, the double knock or whatever it may be. And when someone comes into this secret society, it's a secret. Nobody knows about it. And it's something which is happening, okay, and you kind of walk by it, but you don't realize it. And then all of a sudden you learn the secret. And now you do the handshake or whatever it may be. You've been initiated in. That's the same Paul uses right here. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's this secret society. There's this, I'm going to use the word cult, but I don't mean cult, obviously. There's this group of people that's unique. And I've been initiated into them. What makes them unique? What makes them so special? They learned how to be content no matter what the situation there's a group over there, a club that I can be part of, that when I'm inside it, I am content in any and every situation, no matter what it may be. And I have been initiated into it in a secret kind of a way. How, St. Paul, you were initiated into it? He gives us the answer in the next verse. Before I click, the next verse is one of the most well-known powerful, life-inspiring, misunderstood, misused verses in all the Bible. Y'all ready? Y'all know this verse. Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Many of you, if you're familiar with like the King James Bible, King James Version, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But the original, St. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Later, King James added Christ to be clear. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. One of the most misused verses in all the Bible. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What is all this? What is this? Tell me, St. Paul, what it is that you can do. Let me tell you what it's not. Let me tell you how oftentimes we use this verse. You ever seen something like this before? Nothing against these guys. Okay, this is probably some Christian high school, okay, coming out for their homecoming game. I can do all things through, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. More power to you. That's great. That's not what St. Paul meant. That's not what St. Paul meant. As much as we want you to beat, you know, your arch rival for homecoming, that's a great thing. When St. Paul says, I can do all this, what is this? If you don't understand the context of this verse, you lose all the power and all the meaning in it. St. Paul is saying, this is in the context of, I have know what it's like to be in need and have plenty. St. Paul, I am persecuted. I go around preaching Christ. I have no family. I have no one who cares about me. I have no income. I have no nothing. I go from city to city. I preach the gospel. Once I preach, People come and persecute me. People come and attack me. And one time I was in a city and they thought they, they stoned me to the point they thought I was dead. They stopped throwing rocks at me, not because they wanted to, but because they thought I was dead. I picked myself up. I went right back in the city and started preaching. While I'm in that city, 
People tell me that people are coming and I have to escape over walls of cities to go to the next city and preach. And what happens when I get to the next city? The people from that city came to this city to persecute me here. And all that that I just mentioned, all that persecution, the stoning and all that kind of stuff, that's on a good day. On a good day, that's what happens. Because on a bad day, I get caught by the bad guys, and I get arrested. I get thrown in prison under Nero, the emperor, the guy who lights his garden with Christians for fun. How do you do that, St. Paul? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this. Not this. This. Through him who gives me strength. I can do all this without being tempted to quit. I can do all this without being tempted to give up. I can do all this without standing up and saying, I don't believe in God because if God existed, he'd have done this. I can do all this without losing faith. And in fact, I can do all this not only not losing faith, but actually this fuels my faith. And the more this happens to me, the more I am pushed to continue to preach the gospel. How? Through him who gives me strength. This verse has nothing to do with football games. This verse has nothing to do with getting a good grade on a test. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. It has nothing to do with getting a promotion. This has nothing to do with, with this isn't a Rocky movie, all right, where we train and climb them. This is none of that. This is about being in those waiting room periods of life and keeping my faith and not giving up on God. St. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength because I found the secret of contentment. Okay, good for you, St. Paul. You're the man. But I can't. Good for you. Bravo to you, St. Paul. You're the man. I can't. You can? I can't. I can't take it anymore. I can't. I cannot continue to remain faithful. I can't. You know what I say to you? If you say, I can't, my waiting room is too hard, my situation is too tough, I can't, I say, I agree, you can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. And if there's one thing I want you to, in your sleep, be uttering as, as like a, 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 a new way of thinking, a new way of living is, I can't, he can. I can't, he can. Say it with me, it's very freeing. I can't, he can. Say it. I can't. He can. It feels nice, doesn't it? One more time. Think about your waiting room in life. Think about, I want to pull my hair out. Think about, I can't anymore. And say it like you mean it. Say, I can't, he can. Say it with me. I can't, he can. I know you can't. And I know your waiting room stinks. I, I put you up here. We all vote. Your waiting room is the worst. You have the most miserable. I know you can't. But he can, and that's the whole point of this. This is not about willpower. This is not about trying harder. This is not about take one for the team. This is not about just be a good boy and shut your mouth. That's not St. Paul. That's not the way St. Paul meant it. What St. Paul meant is I have found a secret that I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I found a secret. And what's the secret, St. Paul? I'm going to show you this verse from Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. It tells us about this secret. St. Paul says this. He says about the mystery, the secret which has been hidden from all ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The secret society, which I didn't know about all these years, but now the door is open and people can sneak into secret society. What is it? To them, God will to make known. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? Same word again. Among the Gentiles, which is 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. I can't, but he can. And we believe. See, we here at church, we, we sometimes we say funny things. And we have this belief here. And you have this belief too, and that's why you're sitting here. You wouldn't be sitting here unless you had this belief. That life is more than meets the eye. That there's more to this world than meets the eye. There's more to my waiting room. We saw in the skit of the man standing here in the waiting room by himself. We know he's not by himself. We know that Emmanuel, God is with us. We know there's more than meets the eye. And we have this strange belief that in me dwells Christ. We have this belief. It's a mystery. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't ask me to write it for you on a, a, a diagram. It's not a formula. There's a lot of things in life that we don't understand, but we can benefit from. I stick my key in my car. I turn to this. I don't know what in the world happens. I know I, my, I push the gas and my car moves. I don't understand it, but I know it exists. And just because I don't understand how something works doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So d- don't get rid of that, that, that form of logic that if you can't explain it, that like you're the smartest person in the world. There's 10,000 things you don't understand. Tons of things we don't understand. Flip the switch and lights go on. I, I don't know how these things work. I push buttons over here and things happen over there. Don't ask me how these things work. But I benefit from them because I believe in them and I act in accordance with my faith. We believe that Christ lives in me and it is a mystery. We believe that when we come to this church and we come to the waters of baptism, we believe in baptism here. We believe baptism is a mystery. We believe that when we go in those waters of baptism, that something dies and a new person is born. And we are, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, born again, born anew. How? Oh, it's a mystery. And we believe from that moment, from that moment, I'm not the same person. And we believe that as we live this life and we mess things up in this world, that we have something called the sacrament of confession. And when we come to that sacrament of confession, no matter how much we're dirty and how much we believe that him who is in me, washes me and makes me clean, just like I was just baptized once again, born anew. And we believe that we come to this place on Sundays, we gather around a table, and we partake of the body and blood of Christ, and from that moment, he dwells in me. The mystery which has been, the, which has been hidden from ages and from generations now has been revealed, that Christ dwells in me. And I can't, but because he is in me, he can The mystery of contentment is Christ in me. You know why Christ in me is the mystery of contentment, is the secret of contentment? Because in me dwells the one who can. I say I can't, and I agree, you can't. But we talked last week, we just talked last week, about when Jesus, the day before he died, went to a garden of Gethsemane, and he faced the most miserable, worst day ever imaginable. And he himself said, Lord, praying to his father, take this cup from me. And then he saw that the cup was not going to be taken, so he embraced that cup. And he said, not as I will, but as you will. That took a lot of strength, wouldn't you agree? That took a lot of courage. He who had the courage and the strength and the patience and the whatever dwells in me. So as much as I'm living on my own, I can't. I agree. I can't. You can't. But in me, with him in me, I can. One time Jesus said to his disciples, 
He gathered them all together, and he gave an analogy. He said that I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And he said, he who abides in me bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That as long as you are in me, think about it, think about a tree, a big tree, and a branch that has fallen off. What benefit does that branch have? No benefit. And if the wind comes, the branch is going to fly away. And if a squirrel comes, he can pick up the branch and run away. That branch is absolutely worthless, and that branch says, I can't. I can't face the wind. I can't face the mean squirrel. I can't face all the different, the, the, the dog and the cat. I can't face those things. And I say, but if you are plugged into that tree, man, let the wind blow what it wants to blow. Man, it can knock you down. Let the squirrel do whatever he wants to do. Let the dog bark. Let the cat climb, whatever. In the tree? Because I'm taking the power from the root. I'm taking the power from Christ. I can't, but he can. This is our life on this earth. I'm telling you. Let's go through some examples. I'm telling you. I can't, he can. You're single. You're single. You're tired of being single. And you are saying, you know what? I've decided I'm going to be unsingle. And no matter what it takes, I'm going to be unsingle. And even if I have to cross the boundary of what I know I shouldn't do, I can't. And I say, I know you can't, but he can. And you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful. You're married. And you say, I can't take it anymore. And I say, I know you can't take it. And I know that he's never going to change or she's never going to change. And things will never be. And I know there's no hope that you can see. You can't, but he can. And you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful. There's some people I know who have it hard. And like I said, I, like I said last week, I'm not trying to make light of anyone's situation. I know there's some tough situations out there. Some tough, tough, tough situations. And you're thinking to yourself, someone was telling me this recently, the garage opens, all right, person at home, the garage opens and the spouse is coming home. And they say, just that noise of the garage open makes like stress, makes like a tremendous stress because I don't know what's going to come inside. There's three or four versions of him and I don't know which one's walking in that door. And that breaks my heart to hear someone say that. They say, I can't take it anymore. And I say, you know what? You can't, but he can. He can. And he can, and you can, because he lives in you. You have a homework assignment this week. I know it's Christmas break and no homework, but we're kind of backwards here. Okay? Your homework assignment is very simple. Something to do every morning, something to do every evening. You're going to wake up in the morning. And I'm telling you, first thing in the morning... Not first thing after you check your email. Not first thing even after you brush your teeth. Not first thing even after you go to the bathroom, on the way to the bathroom. You're going to say this. Say, I can't. He can. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And what's this? This is what's your waiting room. This is what you don't want to wake up to when you say, I can't. This is what's in your mind. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then in the evening, before you hit the bed, just say a simple prayer. And I would love you to add to this prayer, but I'm saying it's a simple prayer. Teach me the mystery of Christ in me. Teach me this mystery. The secret of contentment is Christ in me. Teach me what this means. This is such an important topic. Okay, and I'm, 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 
Why is this such an important topic? And I promise I'm going to finish with this. Why is this such an important topic? I want everyone now to think in their minds. Think in their minds. Did you catch that one? Think in your mind. Okay, you're supposed to think outside your mind. Think in your mind. And if it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. Think in your mind of what's that thing that you can't take it anymore. What's that thing that you can't take it anymore? And my guess is you don't have to think very hard. What's that thing that won't change, is never going to change, and I can't take it anymore, and I'm done with it. And I'm sick and tired of that thing. What's that thing? And I want you to hold that thing in your mind. And as you're thinking about that thing, that there's no hope, it's never going to change, I want to tell you this very, 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 very clearly. That thing, that thing is the center of God's greatest work in your life. That thing, which no hope, no change, can't wait to get rid of it, that thing is the center. That's HQ, headquarters, of God's greatest work in your life, both in you and through you. And as we approach this week, and as we approach the challenges of this week and the waiting rooms of this week, we are going to remember that we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decision to remain faithful. And we can't, we absolutely can't, but he can. And we are going to embrace, like we talked about last week, the thing that he has given to us that we hate, we're going to embrace it as a gift from God. I can't, but he can. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We're going to stand up to pray, and as we pray, you're still thinking about that thing as we stand up together and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us confess there are things in this life that we hate. And it's hard for us to think, Lord, that these things, that they might not change. They might never go away. They might get worse. It's hard for us to think that, Lord, because we really, really, really want to believe that, you, that you're like Santa Claus. That you just come to just give us gifts and, and just do good things for us. But we know, Lord, that sometimes as you yourself in the garden faced a cross and took that cross and embraced that cross. And we know that sometimes, Lord, that we need to embrace our adversity as well. We can't, Lord, but you can. And I pray that you would teach us the mystery, the mystery of you in us. Understand what that means and how to live that life so that we can say like St. Paul that we have learned the secret of being content in every situation, in any circumstance, no matter what it may be. Teach us this mystery, this secret of contentment, Lord, of you inside us. I pray that you would accept this prayer and, and, and like the inside groanings of people's hearts in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. And they are inside you.